For the last few weeks, we've been talking about joining God's mission, about one of the purposes of the church is to be on mission, to have a purpose, to be living in an intentional way in the world, and that if we're going to do that correctly, if we're going to be on the mission that God has for us, that means joining his mission, understanding what he's up to in the world. And so to do that, it's important to understand the nature and the implications of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus came to save us, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, Um, and to also understand the nature and the implications of the new creation, not just that God came to save me individually, whether that salvation looks like something in the here and now, or whether it looks like uh, an eternal sort of salvation, and it looks like both, but that God is up to something even bigger than that, and my salvation is a part of that. And that bigger thing is a new creation of taking what he made, what he created in us and in the world around us, and making it new again. Um, And so trying to kind of get our eyes on the big picture of what God is doing to redeem us and to redeem our world. So for us to be the church, to join God in his mission in the world, I think it's important to have at least some sense of where all of that is headed, of what God is up to, like I said, big picture. And that was part of what we tried to do last week. Um, And sometimes it's like uh, looking into a little bit of a fog with a light in it instead of having a high-resolution photo of what's coming. But I still think it's important for us to do that, to look ahead. And that means understanding, maybe different than what some of us have understood, that God is not on some plot to destroy the world uh, because it's evil, and then to take all the righteous people off to a far off heaven. He is, the scriptures tell us very clearly, he is reconciling all things on heaven and on earth through the cross. And that was the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross, and that is the power that we find in the resurrection of Jesus. He's moving the existing creation toward the day when he will ultimately make all of it and all of us new again. So knowing that gives us some vision for that bigger picture so that we can understand, and this is where this kind of comes full circle, having, having that big picture sense of where it's headed helps us to better understand our purpose, our role in the here and now, between now and the end of all of that. And, and so the idea is to, to see and understand our role in God's work. And I think ultimately we're here to build for God's future. That may seem like a strange phrase, and we're going to dig into that some today. But I think the purpose of God's people right here, right now, is to build for his future. We looked at this a couple of verses last week, and I'm going to look at it again tonight and start here tonight. In uh, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, According to God's grace, I laid the foundation like a wise master builder, and someone else is building on it. Then he says this, and this is the part that I want us to key in on tonight. Everyone should take care on how they build on it, it being the foundation. Nobody can lay any foundation, you see, except the one which is laid, which is Jesus, the Messiah. Last year, uh, Amy and I sold our house that we had lived in for several years, and uh, that house was built in 1953, which was the year after uh, my mother was born. This was part of how I like sort of, I'm a, I'm a, 
my brain is strange and I see things in my brain that other people don't, don't see. I'm very visual and so I have to like see a timeline for things to understand how old they are and kind of their, um, and my mom's not here tonight and so I can tell you that she was born in 1952 and our house was built in 1953. So by the time we bought that house in 2009, it had not only been built, but it had existed and shifted quite a lot. It was one of the first slab foundations laid in the Brazos Valley. Um, and there was evidence of that in various ways in the house. And it had been added onto. There was a, originally a garage that wasn't there when the house was built. And it had been made into an apartment. And there may be two or three people in this room who lived in that apartment at various points while we lived there. Um, but uh, in, the, in the time that we owned the house, we did some major things that, that will stay with that house uh, for a very long time, maybe until it is no more. We completely redid some bathrooms. We had bathrooms that had these beautiful brown and yellow uh, 1950s tile schemes um, that we decided we were going to live without. We did, we did keep the pink, the 1950s pink bathroom. Uh, but so if you go in that house now, uh, there are two bathrooms that are old and there are two bathrooms that are new. It's, it wasn't, there's no master plan there that makes it all fit together really nicely. We did what we could afford that was most important to us at the time. Point is, we came into a house that existed long before we were there, but we built some things into that house. We took some things out and we added some things. We changed it and we changed it in ways that made it our home. And uh, some of you have been through similar things in building a house. When Brittany was finishing their home last year, uh, there, there was a wood that was brought in, special wood that was brought in for bookshelves. And some of you in the room here helped sand and plane that wood so that it could go in their house and become the shelves. You didn't lay the foundation for that house. You didn't build the house, but you built for that house. I know the Joneses just finished the house and they brought in all these rocks for, uh, for their fireplace. And I was there the day their foundation was poured. Those rocks didn't go in the foundation. Brandon and Ari didn't, didn't build the foundation of their house, but they, they built something. They brought something in that became a part of that house. And that's the picture I think we have here when we talk about building for the kingdom. We're not laying the foundation. God has laid the foundation in Jesus but we are building things that matter, that become a true part of what God is building, a true part of the future that he's creating. And, and they matter and they will last into that future. And we're here for that purpose. This is the mission, I think, of the church internally and externally. It's to build on the foundation that God has laid in Jesus for the future reconciliation that God will finish in Jesus. The power is his. We have a role to build into this thing that he's doing. And that's what I want us to talk about today. I want to talk about how can we build for that future as a church, as people? How can we build for God's kingdom as it comes to earth? How can we build? How can we participate in God's kingdom coming to earth as it is in heaven, which we're told to pray for? Um, N.T. Wright, I told you last week that some of, a lot of my thinking in this area has been influenced by him. And he suggests that there are most of what we will do uh, to contribute to God's kingdom in lasting ways shows up under three themes. And I'm just here to tell you that you could, you could categorize in lots of different ways. This is not from the scriptures. 
and this is not something uh, that, that there are lots of different categories that you can come up, but I, come up with, but I think these are helpful. And I think they're specifically helpful for a group of people, for a church, trying to get our heads around what does it look like for us together to build for the kingdom of God. And so, so the three categories that he talks about and that I want to talk about a little bit tonight are justice, beauty, and evangelism. That when we build for the kingdom, these are ways that we can, can make meaningful and lasting contributions to what God is doing. Justice is the first one of these categories, and, uh, and, and justice defined loosely, I think, tonight, I want you to understand it as the intention of God, as we see it expressed in the scriptures, God's intention as it's expressed from Genesis to Revelation to set the whole world right. That's the kind of justice that we're talking about. There are lots of different ways of thinking about this. And I think even in the, the really healthy conversation that has sprung up in the church about justice, there are ideas that creep in there that are more influenced by maybe our, what, what we learn in government class about justice or just culturally what we've taken on or maybe what we want for ourselves and some of that may be good and some of that may not be, but, but it all for it to be biblical justice that is contributing, that is lasting in the kingdom of God, it, we're talking about God's intention to set the world right. How has he defined taking what is broken and making it whole again? This is the kind of justice that we're talking about. And I think it's crucial to let that, that definition soak in so that we don't let these other understandings available to us hijack that. God is just, and he is the standard for what's just, for what's right. And we are prone to accept, like I said, all kinds of other standards uh, for, for what is right, what is wrong, what is just, what is fair. I'll talk about fairness as opposed to, or, or as it fits into justice in, in a few minutes. But I think we have to be careful that we don't give in to ideas of justice that seem good, but, but that are limited in ways that this idea of justice is not limited. God created everything, and he knows what's right for, for everything and everyone that he created. So to the extent that we build for the kingdom by pursuing justice in the world, we're driven by the belief and by the acceptance, because sometimes we have to really accept that God knows what's right, God knows what's good, and, and though I might wish it was different, that it's not. So we're driven by the belief and the acceptance that God determines what's right, but we're also driven by the belief that he will once and for all set things right. Both parts of these matter, and as we talk through it, you'll see why it matters. It matters that we believe that God knows and decides what's right, and it matters that we believe that even as we build and fight and struggle for justice, that there is a coming reconciliation where he will once and for all set things right in ways that we can't completely do. It's important to have both of those things in hand as we move forward. It's important to allow that kind of faith in, in God as the determiner of what's right and the ultimate reconciler to serve as our foundation because it's going to remind us at times that we can't and that we won't set everything right ourselves. The mission for justice, uh, it, w once you connect to it, once you really grab on to uh, that, that mission to join God in setting things right, uh, 
it takes hold of you. It's really, it, it's really emotional. Uh, it really is in, in, it really, sorry. It's the worst thing in the world to make everybody look at your sound guys because they're trying really hard to get rid of that. It's not their fault. I just didn't want to make it worse. When you really grab on to this mission of justice, it's passion inducing. It takes hold of these deepest parts of you. You really care about seeing justice come about. And it's really easy to forget our role as God's people called to demonstrate a foretaste of ultimate justice. So here's what I mean by that. We're really working for justice now, but we won't get it all. But what we can do when we participate in the bringing about of some real justice, of, of, of God setting things right, making things the way that he intended them to be through us, we give the world a taste of what's coming. We build something permanent and we sort of build a little trailer for the future. We build a, a preview of what real justice will look like. And I think when we start thinking this way, we start behaving um, if we're not careful, like God is going to deliver ultimate justice through us. So we lose track of the sight that I have a role in this and instead start believing, no, it's, it's my mission to make sure that this thing once and for all is set right. And there's a balance here between us participating in justice and remembering our, our role under God in that justice. Because the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians 15 and in other places that, that God will do that once and for all through Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Paul writes, then comes the end when, when Jesus returns, the goal, when he hands over the kingly rule to God the Father, when he has destroyed all rule and all authority and all power. This is the ultimate coming of justice. This is when all of the unjust are, are taken apart by Jesus, are removed from whatever authority or power they have, and he assumes all rightful authority and power. And then Paul says, he, Jesus, has to go on ruling, you see, until he has put all enemies under his feet. We think in, in terms, when we think about justice, we think about human enemies, and, and the biblical picture of justice is not about us warring against other humans. It's about warring against uh, the powers beyond what we can see that are using other humans for, for their sake of injustice. And so Paul writes that Jesus has to go unruling until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy is death. Death is the last enemy to be destroyed because he has put all things in order. That's justice. He has put all things in order under his feet. There is a moment coming, there is a time coming when Jesus sets everything right, when everything is in the order it's supposed to be in under God's authority. And sometimes our profession of faith, sometimes our strongest demonstration toward justice is clarity about what we believe is just and an unwavering faith that God will bring it even when we can't. And I just, some of you are already uh, have put your hands on this idea that justice is one of the missions of the church and have started moving forward with it. And some, some of you are still trying to understand and some of you maybe haven't thought about this a whole lot. But wherever you are on that spectrum, I just want to remind you that sometimes 
the clearest way that we can point to ultimate justice, the clearest way that we can point to Jesus, the clearest way that we can give the world around us a sense of what real justice is and a sense of hope in real justice is not to accomplish it all ourselves, but to understand that we, we can't and to be prepared in the moment that we can't to not despair, but to have faith that God will take care of it. That's not a discouragement from working toward justice. I'm gonna talk about that next. But it's a reminder that as we do it, we will hit the wall at times. We will hit walls that we ourselves can't move. And we'll, we'll hit dis, moments of disagreement with the people. There, there are lots of conversations about justice that I see going on right now between people who love each other. And they run into moments of disagreement where one person says, this is a question of justice. And the other person says, I understand why you feel that way, but here's my conviction on it. And when you're in that place, you have to have a deep-seated faith that God will reconcile those things. And it's not... It's not your responsibility to make sure it happens. But that is not a release from us working toward justice in the world. It's actually, I think, the context and the fuel for it. If we know that God is going to ultimately bring about justice, it, number one, for me personally, I want to be on the right side of that when he does. And number two, we're his people. And we're on mission to build toward what he is bringing into being in the world. So that's the context, that faith that he will ultimately do what even we ourselves can't do is the context for us participating in whatever ways that we can. Knowing Jesus is coming with ultimate justice frees us to do this kind of work without the pressure of results as our primary motivation or our primary measure for uh, what we're doing. This is who God is. He's the redeemer who's coming to set the world right. Justice has always been, whether or not we recognized it or termed it in this way, justice has always been at the center of what, who God is and what he's doing in the world. Before I move on to the next category, I want to say two things about this. <clears throat> uh, the first is that I think there's a clear biblical caution for, not, not I think, there is a clear biblical caution for us at all times to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And for me, as I have engaged in, in this space, it's very easy for me when I become convinced of something uh, to be really sure that I'm right. And the... Uh, the result of me living like I'm really sure that I'm right uh, is often at odds with this admonition to not think of myself more highly than I ought. The scriptures also tell us to not look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. The work for justice is guided by that principle as well. And the scriptures tell us to have the same mind as Jesus, who, though he was God, humbled himself and revealed to us that glory is found in humility. All of those things are important for us to remember uh, because I am the chief of sinners in this area of becoming so emboldened by a particular cause or a particular crusade that I lose sight of the big picture of who God is and who I'm created to be. And before I know it, I have my own mission instead of being a participant in God's mission. 
Um, and there are all kinds of things that, that, that will throw us off track here. And one, I, I alluded to this before, but one is this idea of everything having to be fair and us kind of conflating justice with fairness. Fairness is a good thing. I think God is fair, but fairness is not exactly the same thing as justice, and God never promises total fairness for us until everything is set right. And I'm not sure he promises fairness per se, even at that point, but he promises a justice that is better than fairness. So this part of God's mission is about us joining God in setting the world right. And any other motive or agenda, however well-intentioned, is, is a little bent. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. Uh, I'm not going to try to... The number of different ways that we can participate in the work for justice in the world around us is, is many at this point. And instead of my first version of the sermon, I had a few that I, I tried to focus on and it ended up, I didn't have any space left for the rest of the sermon. So instead of trying to dive into all those various ways we might do this, I want to challenge you to do this individually, maybe uh, bring this into your com group spaces and let it become part of our conversation together. Go to the scriptures for the next couple of weeks or next couple of months as you have time or make time and look, go with an eye toward the things that God seems most interested in the scriptures in setting right. Look for the kinds of things he sees in the world and is angered by or is saddened by. Figure out where he declares injustice and promises a reckoning. Look for places where he tells people to set things right or promises to make this wrong right himself at some point. And then look around you. In our local space, look around you in the world, in our community, and let's figure out how we join God in building for his justice. And as you do that, uh, I encourage you, one specific place you might want to go in the scriptures, pay attention to the area that Jesus draws attention to in the Sermon on the Mount right before and right after he prays for the kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. There are clues there as to what real justice, God's justice, God's setting things right looks like when Jesus surrounds that prayer for heaven to come to earth, for the kingdom to come to earth with teachings on what justice looks like. I think that's a good focus for this. If Jesus is the Messiah, the true Lord of heaven, the true Lord of earth, and if we're going to pray as he taught us for his kingdom to come on earth, we can't be indifferent to areas where justice is lacking. We can't be content with injustice in the world that belongs to Jesus and that we're praying to come under his eternal authority. We have to be ambassadors for that justice that is coming with his kingdom. If we're going to call, ourselves, call ourselves his people and pray for him to bring his ways into the world, we have to be invested in participating as he does that, as he sets the world right. Second category uh, that I want to talk about is beauty. If we take creation seriously and understand the reality and the significance of new creation, which go listen to last week if you missed last week. I'm not going to review all of that. But if we take that seriously, that God is going to recreate, that he cares enough about what he created to recreate it, to redeem it, to set it right, 
then we begin to find a proper place for beauty in our mission. And I think it's clear, and I think this is something that by and large we have embraced as a community, but it's clear that there's a renewed place for meaningful uh, creativity and beauty coming from Jesus' followers in building for the kingdom, that those things matter, that they're lasting. Our goal, if you go back a couple of weeks and remember what we talked about with, with talking about the gospel and the nature of salvation, our goal is not just to save souls for heaven. If we're honest, I think a lot of the discussion, a lot of what has happened in the church around beauty and art and creativity has been very confined to asking a question, does this kind of creativity, does this attempt at beauty have value in that it will help someone get to heaven? There's been this very narrow scope for understanding beauty in the church is does it get someone further down the road to salvation? And I just wonder, is that really the place for beauty in the world? Is it possible um, that God has a greater purpose than that and that affirming and producing beauty plays a, plays a, greater, a bigger role in God's purpose? I think if his mission in the world is to declare who he is, in a way that the whole world sees that, the whole world understands who he is, the whole world worships him, then there has to be a bigger purpose for beauty and for beautiful expression because it points to God. And what I mean by that is this. Uh, the, the world was created perfect and beautiful. The world now is broken in many ways. It's sad in many ways. I'm not going to read this, but Paul, we read this passage last week in Romans 8. Paul talks about the whole creation is groaning. It was created good. It's not what it was made to be. It is groaning. Even we are together with it groaning for a coming redemption. And I think um, we have to get beyond some of maybe our more confining ideas. Christian, traditional Christian ideas of hope and message for a minute and think about this world that is groaning for something more. It aches, but it still recognizes something beautiful showing up in the midst of all that mess. I think that groaning creation is looking for hope. And, and the next part of this passage says, we were saved in hope, but it isn't hope if we can see it. Who hopes for what they can see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it eagerly. The groaning creation is looking for hope and beauty is often a window that allows us to see when we're hoping for the unseen. I think it plays a really important role in building for the kingdom. God wants to restore his creation to the way that it was made and it was made beautiful. His creatures are wired to be enlivened and encouraged and made hopeful by the appearance of beauty in the midst of a creation that is broken and that's in rebellion. N.T. Wright says this about beauty and the role of the kingdom. When people cease to be surrounded by beauty, they cease to hope. They internalize the message of their eyes and ears, the message that whispers that they're not worth very much, and they are, in effect, less than fully human. The church, because it's the family that believes in hope for the new creation, should be the place in every town and village where new creativity bursts forth for the whole community, pointing to the hope that, like all beauty, 
always comes as a surprise. The world, I think, needs sermons. I think the world needs books. I think the world needs uh, the things that we can create with our mouths and in other ways. The world needs, I think, good theology and theological messages about what is and isn't true. That's not all the world needs. The world needs beautiful expression that acknowledges how things are, that acknowledges the pain. And this is one of the, I think, one of the primary things that beauty and creativity can do in, in the work of the kingdom and the work of the gospel around us is acknowledging in unique ways the pain and the incompletion of where we are. Acknowledges how things are and imagines by faith how things big and small will be when the earth is filled with the presence of the Lord, like we read last week. Beauty plays a role. The last piece of this is evangelism. In Matthew 28, Jesus addresses his followers after he's been resurrected and before he ascends to the Father at what is essentially the beginning of the age we live in. It is the time in between Jesus being here in body the time when the cross and the resurrection have already taken effect in the world and when his followers are on the mission that he sends us on until he comes back to finish the whole thing. And he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sometimes this broader view of the gospel, which we kind of started down a couple of weeks ago and have continued to talk about, this bigger view of what God is up to in the world that that expands beyond just a focus on my and your individual salvation kind of obscures evangelism. It kind of shoves it to the side as, as unimportant, and it shouldn't. It should give us a bigger evangelism that tells a bigger story that includes, for the most part, what I think is, is the partial story that a lot of us grew up with as the definition of the gospel. This, this part of the message that is about my soul's salvation and your soul's salvation and your sin and my sin and the forgiveness that comes in the cross. We should have an evangelism that includes that, that is bigger than that, but that is still telling that story. The point here is not to disparage whatever I grew up with or you grew up with an understanding of the gospel or to insist that it has to be done another way or to insist certainly that we've got it all figured out. The point is to embrace the Lord as he's revealed himself to us and to tell as much of his story as he wants told. And he wants his story told. And in our case, I think that means that in the New Testament, we find a gospel, we find good news, that God is becoming king once and for all, and that Jesus, who is one with God, was raised from the dead and became the world's and all of creation's true Lord. And we think that news has implications for all of life, for our physical life, for our spiritual lives. We pursue justice, we bring beauty into the world, because we believe in the hope of new creation. The presence of God and the reality of the gospel will be at the center of our existence when that's our motivation. We don't pursue justice because it's a good thing or because we're mad that that things are not fair for somebody. 
We don't create beauty as an end unto itself. We don't create it just to ask someone if they know if they die tonight, if they'll go to heaven or not. Look at my painting. How does that make you feel about your soul's eternal destiny? That's not the point. But we pursue those things still with the kingdom as the center of our motivation. When we pursue justice and bring beauty into the world because of that hope, something permanent is built. God's story, God's justice, God's beauty becomes the essence of our lives and it becomes what we leave behind, what we contribute to the world around us. And those things will matter, I think, to the world around us. They'll be real because they'll be really showing up through the church. And this matters. It matters that the church is contributing, contributing these things motivated by the Spirit of God, by the story of Jesus. Because there are lots of people doing good work. But it's not work that, that, that is going to change our souls. And it's not work that is rooted in God's redemptive plan always. And the church has the opportunity and the power to do that kind of work. I think the heart of telling the story in that way, of telling that full story, um, that when, when we start to tell the part of the story that says, Jesus offers real forgiveness for your sins. Jesus offers everlasting life, which is often unbelievable to the world around us. That part of the story is gonna make a lot more sense when we're telling the whole story, when we're engaged in the full mission of God. All of this, I think, all of that work is inclusive of those key elements of the gospel that are familiar to most of us or all of us. This invitation to all people to recognize their disconnection from God's reality, from God's righteousness, to receive love and to receive forgiveness for their own rebellion and sin from him, and to be transformed by faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I think if we as a community are actively seeking justice in, in our own midst and seeking justice in our own community and in our own world, if we're joyfully celebrating God's good creation and recreation with art and music and writing and other beautiful expressions, if our experience of community with one another reflects justice and beauty and shows signs that that new creation is actually happening, this announcement of the gospel will make a lot more sense to people. It no longer is this abstract theological message that's kind of confined to church buildings or TV preachers. It's a reality, past, present, and future, eternal. It's a reality that people can grasp because they get a glimpse of its lived nature in the life of the church. If we're gonna tell people that eternal life is available to them, they need to see real life and vibrancy and creation and recreation in the life of the church. People become convinced, I think, in that space about Jesus because they see him manifest among us. He becomes real for them because he's really alive in our midst. And as they become convinced and as he becomes real, they become transformed. They become converted 
They become regenerated into a new creation. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul says, from this moment on, the, the, the moment that Jesus changes our reality, we don't regard anybody from a merely human point of view. Even if we once regarded the Messiah this way, we don't do so any longer. Thus, if anyone is in the Messiah, there is a new creation. Old things have gone, and look, everything becomes new. This is what we're talking about, a people where this is true, where this new creation, this things becoming new is happening among us and is our work in the world. We're building something lasting that tells the story of a resurrected Savior in the creation. When we embrace this bigger story of reconciliation, of creation and new creation, by embracing these parts of our mission, the Lord continues that work of reconciliation and new creation through us. I want to say one last thing, um, kind of outside of these three categories, and I'm done. The categories are just to give us some, some way to look at this. And, and some of us are going to look at that and go, well, here's what my daily life looks like, and I'm not real sure how to fit this part of what I do on a day-to-day -day basis into any of those three categories. <clears throat> and, and let me say, the point here is not, is not to, to take those three categories and only look at sort of the top echelon of them, that you have to, to, to be about God's justice in the world, that you have to have some amazing story that you can tell on social media about how you set some enormous part of the world right. I don't think that's the story for most of us. It's about embracing that God defines what's right and in the small everyday spaces where we encounter our own brokenness and the brokenness of the world, believing that God wants to, can, and will set that right and doing whatever we can to be part of that. That's what justice is about. Same with beauty, same with evangelism. It's not about heroic tales. Jesus is the only hero of the story. It's about us joining in the small spaces of our lives to do that. But, but some of us may still struggle with the categories. And so uh, here's what I, the last thing I want to say today. Forget about the categories if you need to. And hear what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. My dear family, be firmly fixed, unshakable, always full to overflowing with the Lord's work. In the Lord, as you know, the work you're doing will not be worthless. A lot of translations say will not be in vain. Forget about categories and know and believe that our lives are one of the primary ways that God is preparing the world for his future. He will bring his kingdom in the end. We won't do that. But we're building for that kingdom now. And whatever we do, whatever we do that is motivated by the way that God has changed our lives in Jesus is not worthless. It's not in vain. It is a contribution to the future that God is bringing. It is our participation. It is our mission in this world. And that's true if your day-to-day -day existence is teaching in a classroom. That's true if your day-to-day -day existence is working in an office. That's true if your day-to-day -day existence takes you to some country around the world to deal with some major injustice in that space. That's true if your day-to-day -day existence is changing diapers and dealing with small children. The work that you're doing, if you are motivated by the Spirit, if you see that work through the lens of the kingdom of God, is not worthless. It's the mission of God. It's you joining God and taking what's broken in his creation and believing that he is bringing new life.
that he is recreating it and that we're part of that movement. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these signs that point to the future that you're bringing. And I pray that if nothing else tonight, um, if, we, if we don't ever think about that future or if we've kind of just lost the imagination or the hope to believe that something better is really coming, that you would rekindle in our hearts tonight that kind of hope. Even though we can't see it, would you remind us that that's actually where, where hope is? That's actually where hope lives, is in these spaces where we cannot see things set right. But we believe by faith that it's coming. So would you make us a people that believe by faith that real hope, that real reconciliation of all things in Jesus is coming for us? And would you change our lives? Would you change our hearts and our spirits and the way that we live day to day so that we're pointed toward your kingdom, your justice, your beauty, your story, your new creation? We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.